From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. Good. Hey, listen, we're uh, we're in Gen. This is this will be fun. Um, Genesis chapter twenty-one. Uh, it. Uh, uh, we're just going to start a new uh, kind of journey here for a couple couple of days and see where it takes us. Uh, but we are in Genesis 21, and uh, so let's just go ahead and take a look at Genesis 21. If I can bring it up here, yeah. So this is this should be a day full of laughter. It'll be a day full of incredible laughter. So we'll just go see what happens. So this is Genesis 21, beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So this is a happy day uh, for Abraham and Sarah. Um, If you'll remember, the the promise came from the two angels that that came to... uh, was it the two angels? It was just recently we talked about this. Yeah, yeah, it was the two angels um, that said, "Yeah, in a year from now, you're gonna be, uh, you're gonna conceive and bear a son, and it'll be born in a year from now." And so that was the promise that came with uh, the theophany, right? Uh, God and His two angels came to Abraham in the tent, and this was the promise. And in the tent, Sarah was laughing, "Ha ha ha! I don't think this is gonna happen." Well, who got the last laugh? It was God. He made a promise that a hundred-year-old guy was going to have a son. And, um, you know, uh, why not? Why not? There is actually, oh, man, who is this? Oh, there is actually like the 18th president of the United States. His grandson is still alive um, because he uh, had a family, had a family. The wife died, wife died, and then he ended up marrying somebody. And she bore him a son when he was like 80 years old. And then the same thing happened again. And so is that Zachary Taylor? Um, Oh, I don't remember. Oh, I should have known this. Oh, but anyway, somebody, uh, one of the, there is a grandchild of like a president, you know, from the early 1800s and the grandchild is still alive. I mean, that's just, it just blows your mind. I should spend some time looking. Maybe I'll bring that up tomorrow. Um, the other one I can think of is uh, the Odd Couple. Who played Felix Unger on that show? Anyway, he also had a child late in life. He was like in his 80s. Um, I can't remember who he was. Anyway, so it is possible to have children later in life, um, you know. But for women, you really do need to have you know all the parts and plumbing working that typically turn off, you know, in midlife. So this to have for Abraham and Sarah to have a child is just absolutely fantastic. Sarah is so excited. She can't see straight. Um, and Abraham is 100 years old. Uh, and then they give the name of the child Isaac, uh, which is he laughs. Isaac, he laughs. Uh, and so uh, everyone's laughing. Everyone's happy. 
Abraham's happy, Sarah's happy, everybody's happy. And there's one person that's not happy in this story. We're going to find out. Uh, maybe two people that are not happy in this story. Um, but everybody else is happy. They're all laughing. Um, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will just laugh with me, not laugh at me, but laugh with me. Who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Um, I mean, what a, what a great blessing. You know, anytime you have uh, children, um, that, you know, that in itself is a great blessing from God. Uh, no question about it. Uh, but the more important thing is that God fulfilled. When God came to the camp uh, with Abraham and Sarah and said, "You in a year from now, you're going to have a child, God fulfilled his promise. Uh, and, and God always fulfills his promises. If God gives a promise, he never backs down off of the promise. God holds fast to that. Now we... You know, Abraham took matters into his own hands. You know, he had, uh, he lay with uh, Hagar, had Ishmael. So he's like, I got to fulfill the promises of God. No, if God says he's going to do something, you know, wait for that miracle and let God do it, right? He, he never backs down off of his promises. Don't give up on the promises of God. Um, now, obviously, God, you know, it is, God can but it is very rare, I suppose, for God to come now into somebody's life and say, here's a promise for you. I mean, I'm not going to deny that happens. But there is one place where God speaks his promises that always, uh, he always follows through on those promises, and that's in his word. Anything that's in his word that he has promised, he will fulfill. Uh, and so that is, um, that is something you can cling to. Uh, you know, here in the middle of this coronavirus, you know, is the world going to fall away? Is it going to all fall apart? Um, you know, the promises that God has promised are going to are going to fulfill, right? He He will always follow His promises, so you can cling on to that, and uh, and have hope in the middle of the coronavirus because God is always a provider of hope. Um, if He can do it to Abraham and Sarah and give a child late in life, of course He created the universe, so He can do anything He wants. Then then he will fulfill that promise. And that is definitely something that can cling to. You know, the promises that, uh, you know, that we'll have air to breathe and water to drink and a beautiful world to live in, you know, that, uh, that he has called us to be his own. He's brought us into his kingdom. And as his kingdom, you get all rights and privileges of being in the kingdom. And all those stuff are promises of God. Cling to them. Hold on to them. It's just, it's just absolutely wonderful. So uh, that is, um, that is where it goes. Um, so let's just see. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, let's see here. Um, yeah, there's another thing in here I just wanted to look at, um, which is really fascinating. And it's in verse, uh, verse four. Just take a look again at verse four with me. When his son, this is Isaac, was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Now, let's just take a look at that again. If you'll remember, um, the circumcision is, is part of the covenant that God has with Abraham. Uh, God made the covenant with Abraham that says you're going to be a great nation. All the world will be blessed because of you. And to seal this covenant... We're going to have you circumcise yourself, and you're going to circumcise your whole ha whole family. So in the family at that time is Ishmael, Ishmael from Hagar. 
And uh, so God circumcises Ishmael. Ishmael is 13 years old. Now Isaac is born and he's circumcised on the eighth day. And so all of the people who are Jewish get circumcised on the eighth day. And um, so Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Even, even today, uh, you know, Jewish, Jewish children, I think, get circumcised on the eighth day. It is part of the covenant but that God has uh, with the Jewish people. Um, but uh, I don't know if necessarily it has to be on the eighth day. I think if you're born, you get circumcised on the eighth day. But if you look back, Abraham... Uh, circumcised Isaac on the eighth day, but he circumcised Ishmael whenever. So if you come into the Jewish faith and you want to be part of the Jewish faith, uh, you can be circumcised at whatever age. Um, and we saw in Acts where uh, Paul was questioning in, in uh, Acts chapter 14, chapter 13, 14, they had this big conference in Acts chapter 15, uh, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? And they decided that they didn't need to. But that didn't mean that they couldn't be circumcised, uh, that you could be circumcised and have, uh, you know, that visual display. It wasn't necessary um, to be circumcised, but you certainly could be. Now, is there a reason to do it later in life? Yeah, if you want to, you know, have that covenant with God, if you came into the Jewish faith uh, and you wanted to seal that, whatever age you come into that, that's when you get circumcised, um, you know, in the Old Testament, in the in the uh, if you're if you're in if your family is in the covenant and you want to show the family that you're that you're bringing people into the covenant, then you circumcise on the eighth day. But if you're if you're new to the Jewish faith and you're older and you want to be part of that covenant, then you circumcise whenever you want to be in the covenant. The reason why I bring all this up is because in the New Testament, uh, circumcision isn't necessary anymore. In the New Testament. Um, circumcision is kind of replaced with baptism. Baptism is now the mark of the covenant, the promise of God that you enter into the, king, into the kingdom of God. And in the New Testament, you, you can be baptized. We see in Acts that many, many people are coming into the, to this promise of God, to promise of the kingdom, and they're older, like Lydia is older. And uh, all the people that come into the into this relationship into the kingdom in the book of acts they're all they're all stories about people who are older and then they get baptized um so that is that is certainly a very meaningful thing if you know somebody who is baptized later on in life they remember it it's a marker of point in their life that they remember um but then the question becomes, what about their children? Would you baptize them? Um, and we see in the New Testament, uh, it, the early Christian writers don't seem to really um, talk about it much. It seems to indicate that for many, many people, for the vast majority of people, uh, they waited uh, for baptism until they were older. But the... Uh, the question became, what about, uh, you know, a child that's sick? So let's say you, you have a child that's born and they're age one or two and all of a sudden they get really, really sick. Would you baptize that child and give the promises of the kingdom to them? And it appears that the early church would do that. They would baptize the child, particularly if they're sick. 
and then by the time around 100 or 200 AD, you know, by the by the second century, uh, it appears that that just became a prescriptive thing for uh, for those parents. So if you have Christian parents and they have children, they would go ahead and prescriptively baptize them uh, at a young age um, and bring them into the kingdom. That that and and the early church said, you know, this is for uh, for for these Christian parents. Uh, we're going to go ahead and baptize them prescriptively, but then we're going to raise them in the Christian home. We're going to teach them all the lessons of Jesus. We're going to teach them how to be disciples, you know, and it just kind of moves together. Uh, and then, of course, by by about the 1500 mark, which is, you know, right around the time of Martin Luther, uh, it had become so prescriptive that salvation was simply, uh, you know, you're brought into the kingdom, you're baptized, but that's it. There's... You know, there's no um, education or, uh, you know, necessarily we don't, uh, the, 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 the whole idea of coming into the covenant with God is just, uh, they kind of delinked the two things, you know, the baptism and the training, the discipleship portion of it. They need to remain together. Um, now, um, the reason why I bring this up is because, you know, the baptism is obviously just a huge a stumbling block in a lot of Christian churches today. And I would just say this, um, you know, the question is, should you baptize as infants? Do you baptize adults? Do you wait? Uh, you know, the interesting thing is, is that by about the fifth sense, well, the, and the other part of baptism is what does it confer, right? What, what if you baptize somebody, is it just being in the kingdom or do you get all rights and privileges of the kingdom, including, you know, grace and salvation and, um, uh, love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, all this stuff comes to you at baptism. Um, you know, is that stuff, forgiveness of sins. Uh, so by the time of Augustine, the church had such a powerful view of baptism, believe it or not, that they said once baptism ha happens, that all the sins that you've committed up to your baptism are completely wiped away. Uh, and so there are a lot of people that waited way until the end of their life on their deathbed to be baptized, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 not Augustine, um, Constantine waited till the end of his life to be baptized because he wanted to have all of his sins forgiven up to the point of baptism. It was a it, baptism, you know, you immerse into the water and you come out of the water uh, and that coming out of the water kind of washes you of all the sins that you've com committed up until that point, uh, which then Augustine calls original sin. But, but everything that you've done, I mean, they had such a high view of this act called baptism that, that when you came up out of the water, we were all cleaned again. I mean, it, it, was, it was this refreshment. It was starting over again. It was starting anew. And it was such a powerful thing that, that people waited in life, you know, for baptism so that all those sins could be forgiven. Um, and the question, you know, that remains is, well, when is the right time to baptize? Uh, do we baptize infants? Do we baptize at 13? Do we baptize at the end of life? I mean, what is, when is the appropriate time to baptize? Well, if you, if you look in scripture, it says, he that baptized shall be saved, you know, uh, uh, go, therefore, and baptize all people, or go make disciples by baptizing them, 
uh, and teaching them to obey all of uh, you know all I've commanded you. That's uh, Matthew 28. Go ye therefore make disciples of all nations. How by baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Um, he didn't give a lot of commands about when to baptize. He just said to baptize. Uh, and so I think it's up to the church to decide this is how we do it. Uh, and then that the people see that as the way that they do it, and then they, and they move forward. So um, I think the important thing is to be baptized. I think the important thing is to have that relationship, the, you know, that sealing of the covenant, the rights and privileges of baptism. You're now in the kingdom. Um, you know, 13 is great, but I think, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to do it earlier, I don't think that's a problem. I mean, you know, Isaac did it at eight days old. Did he have any say in being in the covenant? <laughs> uh, you know, Abraham just did it. You know, you're, you're in the covenant. I'm going to circumcise you and, and you're in it. Um, so I think, uh, it, it shouldn't be such a, a divisive thing in the church, uh, but it is, you know, it is, uh, if you're in the military, I understand the chaplains, the, you know, they have, they need to have two different chaplains, one, you know, with, with the mainline Protestants and Anglicans and Catholics where, you know, you get baptized early and then, uh, uh other, which is when you're baptized, you know, typically around the age of 13. So, um, that is, uh, that is baptism, and uh, so uh, let's see. So Abraham was circumcised at, uh, Abraham circumcises his son, uh, Isaac, at a very young age, but Ishmael is, is circumcised later, and, um, and circumcision isn't the New Testament, I mean, the baptism isn't the, old, the New Testament version of the covenant, the Old Testament. It's a different thing. But there's a lot of parallels, so it's interesting to talk about. All right, so we're going to, uh, did I want to say anything else about baptism? Um, now I think that that's probably enough. Uh, I personally, I'll, I'll tell you this, I was baptized at age uh, 12. Um, and uh, it was very, very meaningful for me. I was, uh, I was baptized, I remember it. And it felt like a washing away of sin. It felt like a new thing. I think uh, for those people who are baptized later in life and remember it, it is a very, it is, it is something that they cling to because they remember it. For people who are baptized as infants, you know, there's pictures, there's banners, there's things, you know, given to you at that point that you can go back and point to and remember, hey, you were baptized, you were brought into the kingdom. Uh, and then you're raised, you know, by your Christian parents, your godparents, you know, about about the teachings of the faith, you know, uh, and and that's that, in my opinion, is a very very acceptable way to grow a child. I mean, how cool! Is, I didn't have this growing up, but how cool is it to, from the moment that you can first understand life, you know, that your parents say you are part of a, you are part of something greater, you're part of the kingdom of God. We, when you, were on, you know, when you were such and such a date, we brought you into the kingdom of God and we've loved you and we've raised you and you are sealed to him forever. Um, I, I just, I think that's a cool thing to do also. But for me, being baptized, you know, at age 12 was a cool thing also. So which one? I, I you know, leave it up to the parents. Whatever the parents say, you know, this is, this is our tradition. This is, this is how we feel about it. Um, uh, yeah. I, this is what's important for our family. You know, I, I, I would respect, you know, whatever a parent wants. Um, the, 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 
in the early church they did baptize early as a preventative in case the child died because if a child does die you can say they were part of the kingdom this is a covenant this is a promise you can hold on to um, and if you don't have that I still think God loves the child I think still God cares for the child I think at the time of Martin Luther you know, uh, he was definite. He would definitely, you know, give a Christian burial to a child who wasn't baptized. Um, so Luther would do that. Um, but churches, you know, the 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 Roman Catholic Church at that point, if you weren't baptized, then you couldn't be buried in a Christian baptism, you uh, in a Christian uh, in a Christian funeral. I mean, and that was. I don't think that's my reading of of Scripture at all. So. Um, I think that's enough on the baptism stuff. All right, we're going to continue on. Uh, let's see where we are. Um, yeah, let's just go to verse 8. Remember when I said there was one person that wasn't happy at the birth of this child? Well, uh, let's see what happens. So this is Genesis chapter 21, beginning of verse 8. The child grew, Isaac grew, and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Ah! So, Abraham, it comes back to bite you. <laughs> um, it is... Uh, you know, if you don't follow the promises of God, you know, there is a potential that it'll all come to back to bite you uh, in the end. And, and it certainly does with Abraham here. The child grew and was weaned. I have no idea what age the weaning is, but I find this fascinating. Arab, Abraham held a great feast because his child was weaned. Um, if, you are, if you are a newborn mother, if, you, if you're a mother and going to have a newborn, and your child is weaned. Have you thought about having a party? Um, I mean, does that like, does that happen like immediately? Does it I mean, I guess, you know, I'm trying to think back from my children, like when, you know, it was like a point in time, it's like, we're done. No more, no more, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, it seems like you get some solid food and then you still nurse and solid food nurse and then pretty much the nursing goes away. But here in scripture, it's like a day, like we're done. You're no more nursing, and from now on, you're going to eat solid food. And Abraham holds a great feast. I just, I love that idea, holding a feast. Maybe I'll recommend that to my, to my uh, daughter who has a grandchild that's nursing right now, uh, little Izzy. Um, maybe, maybe when she stops weaning, we'll go to, go to Chicago and we'll have a great big party. <laughs> you know, this party is for you because you're now eating solid food. Um, I don't know. That'd be kind of fun. But... Sarah saw that Hagar was mocking. Oh my goodness. Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar was mocking. So uh, Ishmael, 13-year-old boy, you know, proud of himself, starts mocking. I'm older. I'm the firstborn. Blah, 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 blah. Um, you could just see it. You know, a 13-year-old. Most times, though, a 13-year-old, even a 13-year-old boy, um, will have a lot of tender compassion towards, towards a newborn child. Um, I've seen that time and again. Um, but for whatever reason, Ishmael doesn't, you know, he's mocking his little brother. And, uh, and Sarah doesn't like it, right? Sarah probably thinks that Hagar should discipline Ishmael and, and you know, 
Hagar is the mother, right? So she's you know she's not going to discipline Ishmael, um, or maybe yeah, whatever. So um, so but Sarah, Sarah puts her foot down. Is like I'm done. She's out of this house. You know this is. I understand he's your son, and I understand that you love him, and you've been you know spending a lot of time with him. You love Hagar. You know spend a lot of time with her, but she is not the. She is not getting this blessing. The, the promise from God is not going to go through Hagar and Ishmael. It's going to go through me. And to protect that, to make sure that that happens, I want you to get rid of that slave woman uh, because she will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Hmm. We'll, we'll maybe come back to that a little bit, but let's just read on some more. Uh, let's verse, start at verse 11. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. So early in the morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them out on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way to, and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. So um, it comes back to bite Abraham. Um, you know, he took matters into his own hand. Now he has to, now he has to send away his son and Hagar. Uh, that had to have been a very, very, very difficult thing for Abraham to do. I don't know if I could have done it. Uh, it must have, well, it says it distressed him greatly. I, I, I can't, I don't know if I could have done it. Um, but, you know, preserve peace in the family, you know, to make sure Sarah's happy and, you know, the covenant with Abraham, that covenant is promised. I, I would probably, yeah, it'd be very, very hard, but you have to do it. The thing you have to understand is what was the covenant with Abraham? Abraham, you know, you're going to be a, a great blessing. Well, God says, listen, you've got a son. He's, I'm going to bless him, and he's going to have children, and he'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but the blessing that went through Abraham, I mean, the true blessing, think about it. He says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. So that means that God is blessing Abraham and his descendants to, to be the, the special people of God to bless the world around him. And then that follows a lineage all the way down to Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate blessing. The, the ultimate blessing of Jesus goes through Isaac uh, and all of the descendants from Isaac all the way into Jesus. Uh, and there can only be one descendant. Uh, and we'll find this throughout. I mean, God makes a lineage a special lineage from all of the descendants of Abraham all the way down to Jesus. It is a special lineage. And um, there's only some people that can be in that lineage. And Ishmael cannot be in that lineage. Uh, Ishmael is not in the lineage of Jesus. And there's no way for him to be because there can only be one offspring that's in the lineage to Jesus. Uh, now, I know Jesus has a mother and Jesus has a father, and it's quite possible that there's a couple lineages there. And we talk in, the, in Genesis, I mean, in the 
New Testament, there actually are two different lineages, one for Mary, one for Joseph. Um, but there can only be, you know, it can only be that way. There can only be um, one person, you know, of Abraham. He can't have Isaac and Ishmael in the lineage. Uh, so um, it's interesting, unless, you know, maybe, I never really thought about this before, but I wonder if, no, no, because you look at the, you look at the genealogies. Ishmael is not in the genealogy. So, uh, yeah, there's only, there's only one lineage coming out of Abraham, and it's through Isaac. So, uh, but, the, but, but the, it's a two-part blessing. One is you're going you know, to have descendants, but the other one is that you, you know, you're going to be a blessing to everyone. The, the major blessing is that through you, Abraham, there's going to be a lineage all the way to Jesus. And that whole lineage is going to be blessed. Don't get me wrong. But the ultimate blessing that comes from Abraham is that the whole entire world, including Abraham, including Isaac, including Jacob, including all of these people end up being blessed because of Jesus, because Jesus is the ultimate blessing. All of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, all comes together at Jesus to be the ultimate blessing, the ultimate fulfillment of the blessing to Abraham and the fulfillment of the blessing to mankind that we all, um, that we all, uh, are you know that God loves us all because of Jesus? I mean, and, and it all it centers on Jesus. Um, so even even uh, Ishmael, uh, even even Hagar, they get blessed, right? I mean, God gives them a special blessing. You're gonna be a great nation and all that, but but because the blessing through Abraham and Isaac and Jesus, Ishmael and Hagar get blessed. So they get double blessed. All right, uh, so that, uh, so now we have Abraham is actually sent off Sarah. Sarah goes into the desert. Um, um, yeah, we'll just, we'll just finish this off. We'll go to verse 15. When the, so Hagar and Ishmael are in the desert. When the water in the skin was gone, uh, Hagar put the boy down under one of the bushes. She's dying of thirst. Uh, then she went off and she sat down about a bow shot away. I have no idea that. For he thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. And God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened up her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So um, God did not abandon Hagar. He did not abandon Ishmael. Um, he, he says they're going to be a great nation also, and they do become a great nation. Uh, he goes, she goes to, and gets an Egyptian wife, right? Because they lived in Egypt for a while, for a while so she's familiar with that. So she gets an Egyptian wife. Um, and, uh, and all is good for, for Hagar and Ishmael. Um, God fulfills his promise. He loves them. Now, I guess just one last thought. Um, the, if there, There's two parts to that. <laughs> It's always two parts, right? One is that she's blessed because of Jesus, the line of of, um, of Isaac, you know, creates Jesus, and then Ishmael and Isaac are blessed because of Jesus. 
Uh, and then uh, she's blessed specifically because God says, I love you and I'm going to bless you. Uh, God loves all of his humankind, right? Now, the, the lineage, the blessing of Israel and all of that, King David and everything, is all through Abraham and Isaac. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love Hagar and Ishmael. So think about that for a moment. If you're a Christian and you know that you're in the kingdom uh, because God has brought you into the kingdom, you know, through baptism, um, if, if you're in the kingdom, does that mean that God doesn't love the people that are outside of the kingdom? And the answer is God loves everybody. He, he, uh, he has called you into the kingdom with those rights and privileges to love the world, but God loves all of his creation. And that means that includes the people that are outside of the Christian church, let's say. Um, they're the Ishmaels and the Hagars of the world, I guess you could say from this. But that doesn't mean that God loves them any less or that God cares for them any less. Um, God loves all of his creation. So when you look at anybody that is a human being walking the earth today, um, don't look at them just as, you know, are they in the kingdom or out of the kingdom? Are they following the promises of God or not? It is a human being that God loves and cares for. And, you know, he gave uh, Hagar and Ishmael water and they, you know, they became a great nation. But God, I just, I mean, it's sometimes I think a lot of people of faith think that God doesn't love people who aren't of, you know, their faith. But God loves everybody. I mean, God created everybody, and he loves them just as he created them. Um, and I think as you mature in your faith and start looking at the world, I mean, that becomes easier and easier. It's so, you know, when you first become a Christian, it's like God loves me, and you revel in that so much that you, you know, I don't think God loves them. But I mean, if you really stop back and think about it from this story in Genesis 21, God really loves, you know, <laughs> the people that are in the covenant, but some people here who are outside of the covenant. Um, and that, you know, indicates to me that God kind of loves everybody. So I think I'll just leave it there. Um, hey, thanks for joining me today. Uh, I don't know if this video uh, ended up being, uh, it was about, when we started, it's normally about 10 seconds delayed. But I don't know if it was my internet or if it was the Facebook thing or whatever, but it was like a minute delayed. And I just thought that was really, really strange. So hopefully uh, you were able to see this whole video. If not, um, this being posted on uh, on our website and on Facebook or uh, YouTube. So there's, and that one I know has got the full video. So uh, let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for loving Hagar and Ishmael. Not part of the covenant, but part of your love. And um, we pray that you would be with everybody in, uh, in the world that's going through this pandemic, uh, that you would continue to love them. Uh, be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name.